Hello, and welcome back to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I'm the head of research at Blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. In this episode, we spoke with Simon Judd of the DAO Index Co-op. Index Co-op is a decentralized, autonomous asset management organization that produces on-chain crypto indexes. In our conversation, we explore what exactly is a DAO, what are some of the key benefits this organizational structure offers, and we cover the work of Index Co-op, a blockchain venture-supported project. As a former Marine Corps officer, we touch on Simon's experience exploring the world of crypto while serving in the United States Armed Forces, and discuss the controversial question of whether crypto is somehow unpatriotic, as some have claimed. Well, Simon, welcome to the blockchain.com podcast. We have a standard welcome question. We ask all our guests, how did you earn your first ever money? Hey, Garrick. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Super, super excited about this. Um, how I earned my first money. This is a very good question. Um, I worked on for a roofing company when I was 12. Hardest job in the world. I think I made $20 the first day, um, but I'm not doing that anymore, thankfully. <laughs> that That is uh, a tough job. I, I uh, yeah, roofing, uh, long hours, often hot. Yeah, that's, that you, that's, a, that's a real, real way to earn your first money. Well, Simon, tell us a bit about yourself and, um, you know, kind of where you you're from, what you you did prior to getting involved in 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 crypto, and then of course how you first learned about crypto. So I'm um, I'm from a small town in Montana. Um, I went to went to college in New York City or New York State, um, philosophy major. After college, I joined the United States Marine Corps as an infantry officer. Um, just had an incredible six years in in the Marine Corps. Was able to. Um, really see a lot of the world, spent spent time stationed in Japan, Korea, Hawaii. Um, and then I finished out my Marine Corps career as a mountain warfare instructor uh, in the, the mountains of California. Um, so, you know, my first exposure to crypto is I remember I came back from deployment in 2017 and, you know, I had no, no real background in technology, no real background in finance. And we'd gotten back from deployment and we were in Hawaii and I remember like we were cleaning up, like my Marines were like cleaning their rifles. We we're all just like getting ready to go on, on leave. And, and some of my Marines were like talking about like this new thing. And they were just like, you know, kind of like hanging out being like, Hey man, do you hear about this? Like Ethereum thing. It's like a cryptocurrency. And I was like, what are these guys talking about? So, you know, in 2017 on, on deployment leave, I spent like two weeks just, diving into Ethereum, diving into cryptocurrencies. Um, and that was kind of at the start of that real, the real bull run that, that happened in 2017. But at the time, I really had no framework for understanding either the finance or, or the technology. Um, up to that point, my, my full training was as a Marine Corps infantry officer. So, um, you know, I kind of just, you know, I held, held, held Ethereum, but didn't really understand it. Um, so I spent two more years in the Marine Corps and, and I decided to get out in, in 2019, um, to go to business school. And like the idea of working in technology, the idea of working in crypto was like completely off my radar. It, it wasn't something that, 
um, military officers did in my mind. So I, I got out and I went to business school in New York City, NYU Stern, and I was really focused on becoming like a big time investment banker in New York City. That was my goal. Um, so, I, so I worked really hard in you know that fall, that that summer, and I spent last summer, summer of 2020. Um, working at a, at a large investment bank in New York City, Evercore Partners doing uh, technology m and And like that whole summer as it, as it was happening, I was also diving really, really deeply into, into crypto. Because for the first time I had like the background in finance, the background in business, um, I could kind of start to understand it. And, and DeFi summer was happening and I was like just diving in. Um, so I got back to business school, uh, you know, fall of 2020 and was was very very unsure if I wanted to pursue investment banking or if I wanted to like see if there was anything out there for me in crypto. So um, you know that fall I got very involved in a few decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, um, and principally I got very involved with Index Co-op right around the beginning when when the community was very nascent. There were only only a few of us involved. And I started working, uh, just really doing anything that the DAO needed, whether it was writing, you know, PowerPoints, doing modeling, um, you know, doing some of our business development work. And like really within a week or two of working in DeFi, working in Web3, I knew like, I, I, I remember I was like, if you don't do this now, you're going to spend the rest of your life like trying to do this. Like you have to do it. Like this is what you need to do. Um, so, you know, Late last fall, I called up the investment bank. Like my hands were shaking. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do investment banking. I told them I was going to come back. And, and I decided to work full time uh, for Index Co-op. And, and since then, um, you know, I've been part of the core team at Index Co-op. I've been extremely involved um, across the entire organization. I led our, um, our recent $10 million uh, seed round, um, which we're you know, very, very lucky to have blockchain.com on. And it's just been an incredible journey since then. Awesome. So before we get to Index Co-op, I actually want to touch on um, your military experience and uh, two questions. One, what it, it you know what is your view on the attitude and feeling uh, amongst maybe both active as well as inactive or you know retired military uh, professionals? about crypto in general. And, and the reason I, I asked this question is twofold. One is, um, you know, one of the things that struck me early on, uh, you know, in, in the history of crypto was, you know, USAA, which is a financial services organization in the US, for those who don't know it, who serves uh, military families, exclusively military families, uh, was an early investor in Coinbase. And I think part of uh, the thinking there was uh, that, you know, crypto could solve some problems for especially people deployed overseas who sometimes struggle to engage in financial transactions. You know, they're in places that literally have no financial infrastructure uh, or it's really difficult for some reason. And, and so they they saw some opportunities there uh, integrated even, I think, uh, Coinbase into the USAA kind of banking platforms. You could like see your Coinbase balances in your USAA app and that kind of thing. So, so it seemed like there were at least some military focused financial organizations or interest from, you know, kind of the military ecosystem and the potential for crypto. But there's also this, this other thing that I want to bring up, which is that some people have accused being interested in crypto and Bitcoin specifically is somehow unpatriotic. 
And I wondered if you'd kind of run across that as well and, and how you kind of reconcile these kind of two perspectives on crypto. Yeah, so I think so there's tremendous interest from from military members. Um, and, and I think the thing that drives that interest is the same thing that drives interest universally, right? Like people want an open financial system. They want like real ownership. They want to um, be involved in, in something where they can have like an actual stake in, in, in creating capital for themselves. And and I really I think that is universal. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons cryptocurrencies are so popular with, you know, so many members of the military right now is, you know, some of that core core orientation they have, right? Like there is a real bias for ownership, like a cultural bias of saying, you know, you actually want, like you own your work, you're responsible for yourself, you're responsible for, um, you know, your success or failure. And I think that really resonates with a lot of, um, a lot of military folks. And I also think, you know, there's really like, there's a bias for adventure, right? Like we are really on like the cutting edge of, not just financial technology, but te technology as a whole, like this is a technology that was going to shape, um, you know, shape the future for decades to come. And I think, you know, people who are already are biased towards adventure are already biased for, you know, getting outside the box and doing something different. It, it has tremendous appeal for them. Um, on, on the concept of whether it is unpatriotic, I think there, there's two answers to that question. So first of all, I think a lot of the negative st stigma around cryptocurrencies it is really going away and it's really gone away over the last year. Um, I, you know, when I, when I left the bank to do in, in business school to do in, uh, to do DeFi, like it was this radical shift, right? Like nobody was doing that at all. Like it was the, it was the, the weirdest, strangest thing you could do. And now, um, you know, a year after a year and a half after that transition, like, Every single person I know from the MBA program, every single person from the banks have like reached out to me, like we've done deep dives, like the level of interest is just out of this world. So like a lot of that stigma is fading. And then I think also finally on the broader like geopolitical question of like, is it patriotic? You know, we have in the Western world between, you know, the, the large Western states, we have a tremendous lead in cryptocurrencies and we have a tremendous cultural bias for decentralized open economies, right? Like that is really what we have built our, our nations off of. And I view cryptocurrencies as like the next evolution um, for Western economies. And I believe it's something that we are increasingly going to embrace as a society. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more there. And uh, yeah, the reason, part of the reason I, I mention or ask about this patriotic question is, is it keeps coming up. And in fact, like there was a recent, I think, talk that Ken Griffin at Citadel uh, gave where he referred to Bitcoin as like a, a jihad against the dollar, uh, you know, and how he wishes all the crypto folks like you would be focused on improving the US dollar rather than building out DeFi. I think, I think that view is really misinformed. And, um, you know, your, your view that, you know, that, that, that type of perspective on crypto DeFi, uh, blockchain networks like Ethereum, Bitcoin, et cetera, is really outdated, uh, you know, is, is the correct view, but still, uh, powerful people, influential folks seem to continue to express this idea that somehow this is all unpatriotic, even though crypto networks, um, you know, very much imbue the values, open, transparent, free, free access, uh, that, that are embedded, you know, in Western societies like the United States, very much aligned with more open, 
uh, democratic societies and, and certainly uh, perhaps even uh, a valuable instrument in kind of maintaining freedom uh, around the world. And, and so I, I think, uh, yeah, that unpatriotic view is really, really uh, incorrect. But um, let's transition now to uh, Index Co-op. And what is it? Uh, and uh, what problem is it trying to solve? So Index Co-op is a decentralized autonomous organization um, based on the Ethereum blockchain. And our vision is really to provide compelling, safe ways for people all over the world to gain exposure to cryptocurrencies. You know, when you look back at the 1970s and kind of the evolution of passive investing over the last 50 years, it, it did an incredible amount to democratize global finance. And it allowed really everyday people to gain exposure to the global equities market in a way that really wasn't possible before. Before you had to make very specific bets on certain stocks, you had to have like a really high degree of insider knowledge to, to, to make a profit. And, and passive investing changed all that. It allowed everyone to gain exposure. And you know we see there being a tremendous, tremendous demand for the same kind of exposure in, in cryptocurrencies. It's so complex, it's so big, there needs to be products that give people passive exposure to broad baskets of different cryptocurrencies and allow people to you know, make investments that they can really plan their future off of without becoming day traders, without becoming you know, active everyday participants in the market. And, and we really see Index Co-op as the next evolution of passive management. Awesome. And let's let's explain to our audience what exactly is a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. So a DAO at, at its heart is, you know, how I describe it, it's an open source community. So, you know, anybody can join, anybody can participate, and everyone is tied together by the index co-op governance token, which allows them to vote on major decisions that the project makes. Um, and you know, the current, the the real use of that is, you know, we vote on what products we want to launch, and and that means that we're really designing the products for the consumer because the consumer is ultimately the one that's voting on it, making the decision on whether to launch it. Um, and the, the real strength of these organizations is they allow people who are, you know, cut off or unable to access traditional labor markets to participate in these really compelling ways in, in these open source organizations that really embrace people from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, and really allow people to contribute in a variety of ways to add value to the protocol. And, and that, you know, over the last year, it's, it's been incredibly powerful as we've seen um, you know, people from all over the world get involved, start to support, you know, passive investing globally and starting to bring, you know, our vision to, you know, every continent in the world, every background and, and really, really spread our spread our gospel. Great. And, and, and DAOs have a really interesting history. Uh, they've been around for a number of years now. There's been some, you know, infamous uh, moments in the history of DAOs. Uh, you know, folks should familiarize themselves with the 2016 uh, Ethereum hack and and um, how that how that kind of played out. Um, and there's also some questions about their regulatory status. Uh, you know, there's been some pioneering work done by 
uh, attorneys and and um, professors like Aaron Wright out of New York, uh, who we had on the podcast earlier, who's been working with the state of Wyoming on some uh, some uh, some uh, you know basically legal frameworks around DAOs. The SEC is kind of I think challenged some of that. Uh, we don't need to get into all that unless you want to go there, Simon. But uh, but yeah, DAOs are DAOs are interesting but novel still. And I think one of the questions that comes up around DAOs uh, or criticisms is, is, is that they're, 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 um, you know, still reliant on, on relatively centralized infrastructure to operate. So oftentimes a discord group is formed. Discord is a centralized platform for communication. And, um, you get too many members in one of these discord groups communicating and trying to make decisions and it gets really cumbersome. Um, what, what do you, what do you, how do you address some of these criticisms of DAOs? Uh, and, and how mature are DAOs at this point? If you think about a baseball analogy, like what inning are we in with DAOs? I would say we are at the bottom of the first. Like we, the, the, I, I strongly, strongly believe that DAOs are, you know, very close to what like the future of human organization will look like, but we're in a very, very nascent stage. Um, and I think it's it's important to recognize that like nobody even fully grasps how to like effectively run these organizations, how they need to operate, how they need to, um, how they can scale effectively, how they can grow. Um, the issues you raise of, you know, communities being overwhelmed with people with too much noise, becoming very slow. Like those are very real issues that, um, you know, I think there's only, if, if you really look at the DAO landscape, there's only probably five or 10, maybe 20 DAOs that are really on the front line and, and really starting to, to solve some of those problems. Um, we have been, you know, since day one at DAO, we've been very focused on, on building it the right way, but it is, it's certainly a challenge. And, you know, I think over the next decade as people become more comfortable operating in like fully digital, fully decentralized environments, we're going to see DAOs really start to be able to like effectively live up to their promise. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, start to really begin to outcompete many of the larger centralized corporations that exist in today's economy. Yep. No, I, I think there is definitely good reason to be uh, optimistic and excited about DAOs, no question about it. And uh, 100% agree with your point about this being still early days. So, you know, oftentimes in crypto, we get very excited about, you know, new things and and um, their potential, especially when they they grab headlines like we saw with the Constitution DAO quickly raising, I think it was some $40 million to try to place a bid on a, uh, you know, one of the... Uh, uh, few uh, existing kind of uh, early prints of the U.S. Constitution uh, raised a lot of like questions in that case around how effective DAOs can be in a competitive bidding situation like that, given that they're so transparent that the adversary bidder, in this case, our, our, our nemesis, uh, Ken Griffin of Citadel again, uh, could, could see exactly what it needed to bid uh, because the amount of money the DAO, Constitution DAO had raised was publicly available and he knew exactly what price point to come in at <laughs> to, to outcompete a DAO. So maybe not uh, the most effective uh, tool in a competitive bidding situation like that, but um, a really exciting vehicle for coordinating work um, in, in, a, in, a, in a new and novel way. 
uh, and guaranteeing property rights and voting rights. And and the voting question is something I wanted to, to talk to you about because, you know, it, a lot of people find voting very cumbersome. You know, there's across the world, you know, kind of oftentimes very low uh, voting participation rates in many countries around, you know, various elections. Uh, or if you think about shareholder meetings, uh, you know, that, that again, a lot of shareholders either don't vote or, you know, they, they proxy their votes. And I just wanted to ask you specifically around how you see um, voting today uh, in the context of DAOs. And, and do you have any thoughts on where that can go? Do you think we're going to have something like proxies and, you know, people kind of delegating their votes? Or does that really undermine kind of the whole point of the DAO? So I think a big mistake we make in the Western world today is, is we view voting and, and certain forms of democratic decision-making as like a panacea for all problems. And we say, hey, you know, if there's voting, then it's good. If there's not voting, then it's bad. And I think where we really need to go, not just as DAOs, but also as you know, a broader society, is, is we really need to be critical about what kind of decisions are best made through voting and what kind of decisions are best made through some other form of group consensus. Because you know, what we see in the DAO very quickly is it's very easy for people to fall into the trap of like every hard decision, every complex decision gets voted on. And, you know, we, we really see the inefficiencies of that within DeFi where, you know, the hard decisions, the actually truly complex decisions are so complex that really only a very small fraction of the people who have voting rights have enough context to actually like make the, the decision and or, or, you know, give good guidance. So, so we really do need to, to really hone in on saying, hey, what are the decisions that really need group voting, that need group consensus? And then what are the decisions that need to be delegated? And what are the decisions that need to be handled through proxies? And, you know, really recognizing that voting on everything does not mean that you're getting the best decision every time. And, you know, as we, as we really start to hone in on this, I see DAOs and you know, DAO started to make much better decisions as they really focus on like, hey, these are the core things we vote on. And then everything else is handled through proxies or, you know, sophisticated parties that have the context. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And can you talk about how voting actually mechanically takes place? I think, I think you know, people who are listening to this who have not, you know, joined a DAO, um, I, I think it'd actually be really helpful for them to understand kind of like, you know, how it feels to be a part of a DAO, how this actually works in practice. Like, you know, what do you need to, to interact with a DAO, you know, become a part of a DAO? And then how do you engage with it uh, on an ongoing basis? Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll start, I'll, I'll kind of just walk you through what, what, what happens and how somebody joins, then, then we can talk about some of the specific voting examples. So, you know, it's very simple to join. We, we have a Discord that has an introduction channel. Um, people go, they introduce themselves, they say a little bit about their background, um, and then our onboarding team contacts them and they join, you know, our new joiner call. And that gives them a broad orientation to the organization. Um, from there, we have a number of small quests that new community members complete that both help the DAO through you know, providing work, but also allow the new member to, to really build context on the organization as a whole. 
Um, you know, from there, as community members progress, they end up, you know, working in one of our nests, which you can think of as a different vertical, whether it's product growth, engineering, um, and, and doing really specific work within that. And now, you know, when it comes to voting, so each of our community members is paid in our governance token. Um, and that governance token is used to vote on major DAO decisions. So a good example of a major DAO decision was our decision to um, do the $10 million treasury diversification that blockchain.com ventures was part of. Um, we started the discussion in early February, myself and one or two other community members, really about the need for us to you know, diversify a little bit diversify our governance token, um, bring on, you know, major value add investors and, you know, ensure we had enough capital to support like the long term survivability of the protocol. Um, so, you know, we came to consensus that it was something that needed to happen. And um, from there in early April, we held a DAO vote. Um, which allocated a certain number of our governance tokens to myself and Regan Bozeman, who um, is another community member, and gave us the mandate of saying, hey, raise, you know, use, use these tokens to raise $10 million from investors, and it's really up to you how you do it. Um, and then from there, we, we worked closely with the different investors to, to reach a good, a, a good deal for all parties, um, and, and then it was executed. So that's 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 a little snapshot of kind of how how these decisions like flow through the organization. Awesome, yeah. Thanks for that. Let's let's spend some more time on on index co op and and you know you mentioned index investing is is a major innovation in 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 you know the investment world. Uh, let's get into more of the details around um, you know what people are coming to index co op to achieve and and um, and and uh, you know what does the future look like for index co op. So right now, Index Co-op um, has seven indexes that exist on Ethereum mainnet. And each of those indexes is built using token set technology, which is essentially, you can think of it as a basket of one ERC-20 token that holds a number of underlying other ERC-20 tokens. So a good example of that is our DeFi Pulse Index, which you can think of as the S&P 500 of DeFi, which is the 15 largest projects in DeFi, and um, it rebalances every month. We also have the Metaverse Index, which covers crypto and gaming. We have um, our leverage tokens. We have our Data Economy Index, which covers the data economy and things like Chainlink. Um, and, and those are ERC-20 tokens that, that people gain exposure to by buying on decentralized or centralized exchanges. Awesome. So it's a way for, for people to gain exposure to some of these things in a kind of a broad basket way, like you would in a traditional kind of like equity index or, you know, Vanguard style index fund of, of, of that sort, basically. Correct. And, and we see just tremendous, tremendous, tremendous demand for this kind of investing. Um, you know, a big focus of mine is I try and talk to, you know, all our new community members as they join and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them and really dive into like why they got involved, what draw, drew them to it. And the one story that comes up again and again and again is people say, you know, I held Bitcoin, I held Ethereum. Um, and, you know, as I, for a year, two years, and then I started to dive a little bit more in. And the first thing I did when I transferred, you know, Ethereum from a centralized exchange like Coinbase to, to my MetaMask is I, I bought DPI or I bought one of the index tokens because it was the only thing that, you know, 
made them feel safe, made them feel comfortable. Everything else, you know, it's too broad. It's too complex. It moves too fast. You need a way for people to allocate capital without having to, you know, pull apart the underlying architecture of some of these more complex protocols. Yep. And it, it definitely leverages kind of this old saying in, uh, in finance that the, uh, the only free lunch uh, in the investment game is diversification. So, <laughs> you know, it's one way to, to cover yourself, uh, certainly if, uh, you know, from kind of single, single point of investment failure risk or, you know, any one thing kind of going under is to broaden your exposure to a wider range of, of uh, networks and, and assets uh, around some of these themes you mentioned, like, you know, DeFi, Metaverse, et cetera. Um, so, so to sum up, um, you know, some of the positives of DAOs, um, and I'd be curious if, if you agree with this list and what you would add to it, um, you know, people often talk about the, you know, the, the inclusiveness of DAOs, the fact that these are available to anyone, you know, around the world with computing device and internet connection, you know, you're, you can't be discriminated against as long as you have, you know, uh, access to the internet, um, you know, you're able to effectively participate. Um, these are efficient markets for innovation. Um, you have governance rights, you know, the speed of, of capital formation, um, you know, lack of kind of overheads or central office, um, you know, uh, any, what are the, what are some of the, what would you make of that list and what else would you, would you add to it? It's kind of like a benefit of the Dow structure. So I think the benefit, and it's something I, I talk about a lot is, you know, a traditional organization has one CEO, right? Or they have two CEOs. A DAO can have like 10 people acting in that role and be just as effective, making, you know, really good high level decisions about, you know, different areas of expertise they have. Um, and it's able, also able to coordinate at a massive global scale in a way that I think the market in general brought like has yet to fully recognize. Um, I think a, so. Here's a really good example of that. Um, you know, at the start of this summer, myself and a few other community members made, decided that hey, like we really want to focus on on getting conference representation. We want to make sure that Index Co-op community members are at every major cryptocurrency conference, not just in New York or not just in the United States, but like every major cryptocurrency conference in the world. Um, and you know, over the last four months. Like we've been able in a fully decentralized way without a single person saying do this, able to have different community members not only attend, but be keynote speakers on crypto at cryptocurrency conferences in New York City, Miami, London, Paris, China, and like this different people. And they're spreading the message on this very large platform. Um, speaking for the DAO as representatives of us in, in this very major way. And it's all happening in a decentralized way. Those community members are being funded to go to speak at those conferences in a decentralized way. Nobody's voting on it. It's just through group consensus. And that is so powerful as it starts to scale. Um, you know, we have a very strong APAC team doing all of Asia Pacific. And like they were able to, um, you know, get me on the major um conference in China with over 10 million viewers. And, you know, I was able to speak there and like, those are the kind of opportunities that happen in a decentralized organization that, you know, a traditional startup, you know, a year into operation would not be able to create those kind of opportunities for itself and gain that kind of broad, broad global exposure. Yep. 
Let's talk about uh, the blockchain.com investment. Our venture fund invested in Index Co-op. Tell us about kind of, uh, you know, seeking out, uh, you know, venture investors like blockchain.com versus crowdfunding and and the thinking and strategy around that and, and how that capital is going to be used. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, it's still very early in how these organizations interact with with venture funds. Um, at the start, we we decided to be you know extremely selective with what partners we wanted to bring on board, and and really really focus on people that we felt had a similar vision for for where DeFi and Web three is going, and people that we saw ourselves you know working with really really closely over you know not just the next year, next few years, but the next decades, and that's that's really like the time frame um, you know we think in and. You know, from our first conversations with Sam, uh, you know, we were tremendously impressed by really like the powerhouse that blockchain.com has built, the vision, um, and also just the willingness to to really provide value out the gate. I think the old model of, you know, venture capital funds writing a check and then, you know, coming to collect their returns in five years is broken. I think it's over. And, you know, the venture capital funds and the venture funds that are really going to succeed you know, in the next era of decentralized finance are the funds that are able to not only provide capital, but also recognize, you know, what else they provide, whether it is, you know, the relationships across the whole ecosystem, um, you know, like Sam, you know, makes introductions for us and our team on almost a weekly basis. And a lot of those introductions have been extremely valuable for our community. And then also, you know, from a strategic perspective, I think, these organizations are very new. They're very young. We have, you know, community members with different backgrounds and it's very valuable to bring on, you know, investors that have real world experience being on boards, making large strategic decisions at the highest level. And, and that was really our focus. And it, it's absolutely lived up to what our hope would be. We, we could not be more thrilled to have blockchain.com on board. Great. Well, Simon, just to uh, to wrap up as we're getting close to the end of our time here, I wanted to, to to ask you for a perspective on the regulatory environment for just crypto in general and and, and maybe DAO specifically. Uh, this is a, a topic that you know year in year out uh, we we spend a lot of time on. Uh, you know, it's not always clear, you know, what the outlook is. Uh, I think we've kind of touched on some things that are certainly encouraging is, you know, we've talked about how people are becoming more educated on on how crypto works. And that includes regulators and policymakers uh, and what the, the potential is around this technology. But yeah, sh- give us your thoughts uh, on, on the, the regulatory landscape. What are some things you're keeping an eye on? Are there any things you're concerned about and uh, any predictions uh, around regulation for 2022 as well? So I think DeFi right now and cryptocurrencies more broadly, it, it's very, very similar to um, the Internet in 1995 before the Digital Information Act in 1996, which really represented kind of a 
regulatory wake up to the power of the internet and also really opened the doors for a, a tremendous amount of innovation, a tremendous amount of new investments, a tremendous amount of growth in the internet. We are, you know, we're still waiting for that regulatory breakthrough that offers, you know, real long-term clarity on, on the, on the future relationship between decentralized organizations and decentralized finance and then you know the global the the current global governments however you know with that said i think we're far far closer to a major breakthrough than people realize i believe i firmly believe that this is an absolute must solve problem for the governments of the Western world in order to remain competitive from a technological standpoint. It needs to be embraced and in, innovation needs to be, you know, needs to be put in a regulatory framework that innovation can happen and that innovation, like the true innovation can, can, uh, can really like excel. And I think we're closer, getting closer to that every day. There's tremendously improved relationships between, um, you know, the, the major players in cryptocurrencies and then the governments in both the United States and Europe. Um, I, I see that continuing to play out. I see us, you know, continuing to work really closely with these governments, not not as, you know, enemies or not as threats, but as like as real collaborators as we as we build a truly decentralized future. And, you know, I'm extremely excited for for what the future of crypto regulation holds. And I think once we get to that watershed piece of regulatory um, of you know legislation, it's gonna open up the doors to a whole new universe of innovation and growth. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I think the, uh, you know, regulators are often, you know, kind of positioned as the boogeyman and, and uh, there's, I think, too much fear around uh, regulation. Historically, on the whole, I think in most markets, certainly in, in the US, uh, regulation has been a net positive. Uh, it has just provided clarity. You know, there are exceptions to this, uh, you know, and I'm not going not gonna to name names. Certainly some countries, you know, that have gone very far in trying to crack down China, for example, uh, I would argue is, 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 is uh, undermining their innovation economy, frankly. Um, but, but that's not been the case in many, many other places like the United States, which have taken a more thoughtful approach and, and generally uh, on the whole provided a, a, a net positive and greater clarity to the whole blockchain space. And my, my expectation is that's going to be true for DeFi and DAOs as well. Uh, as the potential uh, for these new technologies and and ways of coordinating work and financial activity and innovation are, are appreciated and realized, and policymakers recognize that to you know to to be an innovation economy to attract the best brains around the world, you need to embrace um, DeFi, DAOs, blockchain technology, crypto, Web three, whatever you want to call it, uh, rather than yeah, try to true. try to shut it down. Great. Well, Simon, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast, and we wish you the best. Greg, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, just final huge shout out to Sam. He's been an awesome supporter of our community. He's been a great mentor to many community members. You know, we're so, so thrilled to have blockchain.com on board with Index Co-op. Um, it's going to be an incredible, incredible 2022. Sorry. And thank you for that. And, and Simon, also, where can people go to learn more about Index Co-op and, and, and yourself? And, and where do you where can we send people? So the best place to uh, learn about Index Co-op is our website, indexcoop.com. And then 
I am very active on Twitter at Big Sky Seven, um, and you know, always thrilled when people reach out. Always thrilled to talk, touch base, and and, and talk all things Index Co-op and Web three. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate us and leave a review as it really helps boost our visibility to more listeners.